now to anyone out there who wants to go fast. Anybody. I want to go fast. He's a freak. He's a fast killer. He's a fast killer. I feel the need. The need for speed. He's really, really fast. I mean, he's so fast. He makes fast people look not fast. I got it. He's fast. Welcome to another episode of the Speed Podcast. I'm Steve Breidenstine, your director of coaching. Uh, really fortunate to have our guest on today, Emily Pappas. She is the founder and head coach of Relentless Athletics. Um, they are super passionate about training female athletes and creating an environment they can kind of unlock the potential they have um, based on some of the, the, her experiences uh, as an athlete in the weight room and as a intern and assistant strength coach in the weight room and trying to make an experience where female athletes can really embrace it and get the most out of it. Uh, so we're super excited to have her on today. Uh, Joe Zerman met her out east at a Cressy Sports Performance um, Business Mentorship Weekend uh, and kind of communicate with her. So we were super fortunate to finally be able to kind of talk uh, we had to reschedule once, but we're able to do it today, which is great. Uh, so, Emily, thanks so much for taking some time today uh, to talk with me. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I'm excited. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of a background of just kind of what got you into the field and what were your stops along the way before you became like the, the head coach and founder of Relentless? Definitely. So my background's a little bit different in that I am a science nerd <laughs> from from day one. So in high school, I was the that girl that loved sports, but was kind of on the bench. Um, just do not have that genetic predisposition to be <laughs> highly muscular, fast, athletic. You know, it just unfortunately, you know, you got to work with what you're given. Um, but I am a just a passionate person that is very critical in looking at the world. So I've always been interested in science. And in high school, I was, that's when I really started to explore biology, chemistry, and kind of fell in love with it, especially because during that time, my dad is a type two diabetic, um, but he's not overweight. It, it's more of a genetic thing. And during that whole process of him during this time, he kind of fell in love with exercise and nutrition, and he was able to kind of take charge of that disease. And from that day, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so interested in what's going on at a physiological level in terms of the stressors of nutrition and exercise. So I decided to go to college um, and study biology with a concentration in biochemistry. So during this time, I'm, I'm primarily just like a runner during this port because as an athlete growing up, no one really introduced me to the weight room. It was anything like go through the machines and then go for a run. You have to get faster. Mm -hmm. So that was something that made sense to me. I just ran all of the time. Um, so as a small girl that is not, again, genetically predisposed to be a great athlete, of course, I started getting injured. Yeah. And I got injured to the point that I just, I couldn't keep running. So that's when I was like, well, I want to keep exercising. I kind of to do with this what is this nutrition this uh resistance training mm -hmm. so back then there's no instagram you're just following blogs and i, I found bodybuilding.com and i'm like whoa this is this is pretty cool this is what i think it is and i'm kind of playing pickup soccer on the side then i saw i'll never forget i saw some girl do do a snatch and I had no idea what Olympic weightlifting was. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that looks awesome. I want to figure out how to do that. So I grabbed a broomstick and I found some old Cal Strength videos. And I was like, okay, time to learn. And so I essentially tried to teach myself how to do the lifts um, with a broomstick. So then I'd be going to the Globo gym and I'm, you know, trying to do these lifts to the best of my little girl ability. Um I wish I had videos of that just, just to look back on kind of chuckle. Um, but during this time, that's when CrossFit kind of started to pick up. So I found a CrossFit gym. And for me, my CrossFit experience was a little different in that my first workout was we're going to work to a heavy back squat. Then we're going to do some prowler pushes, some sl uh, sled pushes, tire flips. I was like, yo, sign me up. Yeah. Um, 
So when I got into that, I was like, okay, what's this Olympic weightlifting thing? And they're like, oh, we don't really do it that much here, but like you can. So I was just like in the corner trying to teach myself how to do these lifts. And that's when I started to realize, oh my goodness, this is a sport in itself. So let's say my uh, CrossFit career did not last long at all because it's while I was there, it just didn't really coincide with some of the science that I, I understood in terms of periodization and adaptation. It just didn't make sense. But Olympic weightlifting did. So at this time, it's about the end of my college career. I'm, I sometimes have a problem that I have too many interests. So I'm, I love nutrition. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to become precision nutrition certified on the side. I'm doing that. I'm just reading textbooks. I'll never forget my favorite book back then was a natural hormonal enhancement and it was all about nutrition and how it affects the hormones. So I was like, I need to figure out how to study this stuff. Um, so I actually went off to get my PhD in exercise physiology at Temple University. And I was very fortunate to be a fellowship, um, a, awarded a fellowship. And it was awesome yeah. because I actually started to apply science in the field of exercise. But while in this field, I starting to realize, okay, one, most of these studies are all aerobic in nature, very few resistance studies, very few free weight resistance studies, not to mention where the heck are the female athletes. Yeah. So while I was there, I um, started just doing weightlifting on my own, found a coach, started to fall in love with that, started to play soccer on the side and was like, holy crap, I'm a great athlete. Where did this come from? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of felt like I found the golden ticket. I want to understand this more at a physiological level, and then I want to figure out a way to give this to more girls. Because as I kind of evolved in this process, my confidence went through the roof. The way I looked, I loved the way I looked, the way I felt, the, the way that I was becoming that athlete that I always wished that I could have been at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I was at Temple, I kind of knew that, you know, I don't think, I want to be in the lab all day. I really like working with people and helping bring to them something that I wish someone brought to me at a younger age. So I was like, okay, I'm going to drop down, get my master's degree and kind of decide from there. Uh, in my second year there, one of the, um, their, their very big company now, Renaissance Periodization, before they were really big, one of their um, head consultants, James Hoffman, transferred over as a professor for the undergrads. And, he was quite frankly the only one in the department that lifted weight. And I was so I walked in, it was office on the first day, and I was like, Hey, I'm a graduate student here. It's so nice to meet you. Please let me learn from you. Yeah. And he was like, Hey, I'm the head coach of the women's uh, rugby team. You wanna be my assistant or the for the strength coach? And I was like, Uh yes. He's like, Guess what? They're all one this year. I was like, Are you kidding me? Like this is an no one gets these opportunities. Yeah. So while I was doing that and I was coaching girls and writing the program and studying, you know, the theories of adaptation and just the basic principles of periodization, athletic development, I kind of realized while working with these girls, they were like, I've never been in the weight room before. Yeah. And I was like, you play rugby. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, you've never lifted a weight? No. You know, it isn't going to make me bulky. It isn't going to make me slow. And like, even if not, all the guys are the ones that are in there. Why? I don't want to be in there. Mm -hmm. And from that, I was like, okay, I know what I want to do. I want to open up a facility that is science-based and introduces strength training to female athletes because it is, it is one thing that they're not getting. And I'm, I'm very fortunate. My father owns his own business. He always taught me growing up. You want to? open a business. One, it has to be something you're passionate about. Two, you have to fill a need. And for me, I was like, all of these females drastically need strength training, not only for improved performance, but to help reduce the risk of injuries that are growing at an alarming rate. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, I'm so passionate about the science behind it because it's just something I think about all the time. So at the end of... uh, I, at the end of my grad school career, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out a way to start this business. And that was around three and a half years ago. And it started from a lot of uh, cold calls and a lot of, you know, what was working. I was primarily selling to a generation that was 
under the belief that strength training is not for females because it's going to make them bulky and isn't it going to make them muscle bound and inflexible and isn't it dangerous Mm -hmm. versus for me my side was like no (laughs) because i was i understood the science and the physiology the physiology behind it so I kind of just used my voice in a way to try to educate this new generation. And I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I kind of opened up my business at a very great time for female athletes. And I've just been able to see it grow and reach so many females. And it's probably not only the most rewarding experience in the world that I have like nine-year-olds that I'm introducing weightlifting to so that they they get exposed to it, but their their perception of weightlifting is that this is normal for a girl versus mine at that age was very different. Yeah. So probably the coolest thing in the world. That's kind of my long spiel of how I got into this. Um, I'm sure I missed a lot of steps, but that's basically hey, it. No, I love it. There's always so many steps that there's impossible to get every single one, but those are definitely like the big landmark points along the way, I think. Definitely. So when you were kind of doing in the college setting at Temple, when you were working with these girls who were rugby players, um, what what was their kind of enthusiasm behind getting started with the training? Were they were they really off put by it? I know you were kind of like they didn't really experience it. They didn't understand it. How did you Mm -hmm. kind of sell them on it? Well, for me, it was easy for me to kind of be their coach because I was a young girl that they could look up to and relate to. And I also understood where their, um, uh, their perceptions of weight lifting were coming from. So in my experience, just anecdotally, I know that most females don't really care about weight in the beginning, but females are detail oriented. So when I explain to them how focusing on their movements is going to carry over to how they're more aware of their body and coordinated on the field, I kind of get that buy-in. Mm-hmm. And then once I start seeing what happens when you put in work and how much stronger you can become, you have them forever. So it kind of just started in just explaining to them, okay, we're not going super heavy right now. We're just going to learn the movement. Yeah. And as I kind of focus on those details, you really get that buy-in that you need for females and that they just from then just kind of believe us and they were a great group. They just wanted to get better. So they were kind of willing to do anything me or Jane told them to. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you found as you've been training more and more female athletes that if you kind of out first, give them a lot of explanation of why you're going to be doing things, how it's going to help, that immediately kind of clears that up and they kind of jump in and they'll kind of do what you're asking a little bit faster? That's actually so funny. Yes. And that's a, we kind of changed our business model a little bit mm-hmm. for that aspect in that we now require a one-on-one movement assessment with the parent and the kid. And when we say movement assessment, it's just us literally introducing the basic movement patterns of, do you understand what it means to hang? Let's try it. Yeah. How about a squat? What's your balance like? What about your relative strength? Can you lower yourself down in the cook-up? And then from there, when I kind of explain how this is the basis of athleticism and that how this is where the foundational movement patterns of a sprint or of a jump and that how we need to understand how to do them in a close setting before we go to that open setting and expect our bodies to be powerful and fast out of those movements, you get your, the parents and the girls to understand that Lift that this weightlifting thing isn't just about lifting weights and going through the reps, but there's so much more. And it really comes down to understanding how to move. And I mean, I can say that that's specific for females, but it's not. It's specific for any athlete as, as especially when working with youth or adolescents, you need to teach them how to move before you get fun into their programming. You can actually even think about introducing concepts of periodization or um, anything like that. So it's more so, yes, explain it to them in the beginning, but relating it to their sport and that this is a skill, just like your sport is a skill. See how we're focusing on where our body is in while trying to do this clean? This is going to carry over to you understanding where your body is in space when you're trying to jump up for that volleyball spike. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I find that a lot with a lot of our high school athletes, especially is they're a little off put at first, especially if they've not been training regularly in the weight room Mm -hmm. or they've not been training specifically for speed or movement skills and they've always just played their sport there's always that disconnect Mm -hmm. of at first like what why am i even doing this 
And that, that always seems to be there. Yep, exactly. Exactly. That's what, that's what, uh, especially girls, girls like to know the why, mm-hmm. give them the why and then get them to understand. I love it. But they will, once they have that buy-in, man, they go hard for you. Uh, oh yeah they do and females are ridiculous because like their work capacities are through the roof like you give them like four sets of 10 and they're like all right now what and you're like how can you recover from that because for me at my age doing that it's like that would kill me so it's it's so fun because they're just so willing to push it and they're like all right let's go now let's go and i love it i love it so who with your clientele right now at Relentless, what is kind of the breakdown? Do you have a majority of a certain age or there a majority of sports? Can you give us like a rundown of what kind of clients are coming through? Of course. So the majority of our athletes are in the high school age. So from sophomore to senior year, that's like the bulk of our population. Then we have a good amount of youth girls. So that's like I like to say seventh grade up to ninth grade. And we have a lot of team training because it's kind of like introducing them to the movements patterns, but in that team camaraderie that they kind of, you know, it's like, we're doing this weird thing, but we're doing it together. Um, so that's kind of how that layout is. And then during our summer and winter breaks, we uh, get all of our college athletes coming back to us. So it's either athletes that I've been working with since I started. So now they're in college and it's awesome to see them come back and tell me I kick butt in the weight room and like how they're so much better. It's so cool. And then we have girls that are, you know, just got exposed to lifting in college and aren't really receiving the technique attention that they, that they need just quite frankly, because that's not the time for it. Once you're already a division one athlete, you would hope by then they, these girls would understand and have the basic techniques of squatting, hinging, pressing, um, a lot of them don't. So we'll see a lot of those athletes like start and come in with us during the summer for us to either prepare them for college or once they are already in college and they realize, oh my goodness, I'm over my head, they come to see us. Yeah, I love it. That's fantastic. So when you're working with some of these female athletes, what have you seen are some of like the big differences from typical like training a male athlete? Do we have like there's so many realms you can go down as far as like just their overall physiology, how they respond mm-hmm. to coaching, um, their will to compete, um, a lack of confidence mm-hmm. in certain situations. There's so many kind of areas, but I'm sure that you've kind of over time now developed a little bit of kind of a, a, a few that you see are like the main ones. What are kind of your, your biggest ones you see there, the differences? Definitely. Well, from an atmosphere perspective, Atmosphere is, in our opinion, the most important part of all of this. So it's just creating a positive, uplifting, encouraging atmosphere, but also that it's a group of badass girls. So we have rules that we make every girl sign off on. There are five simple rules. And the most important one is that we act and lift as a team. And that means that when we're in this weight room, you are cheering each other on. And if not, your coach is going to punish you and make you do like 20 burpees or something just because we don't want this place silent. We want, we don't care if your opponents on the court or if you've never met before, you have two things in common. One, you love relentless Two, you're badass because you want to make yourself better and stronger. And from that, this is a place where you belong. And once you kind of make girls feel like this is their home, they're so much more open. And it's so cool because you'll have some days where these girls are just like, you know, worried about, are they going to get this scholarship? And then another day they're coming, they're like, oh my God, I broke up with my boyfriend. And you're like, oh my God. (laughs) But it's so cool that you have that atmosphere that they feel so comfortable in talking to one another, talking to you. And it's just like, this is, I like to say Relentless is like that cool clubhouse just for girls right after school. And it's like, they have to vent anything like that. It's, they feel comfortable here. And that's what, that's why we keep it all females. Um, From a physiological standpoint, at the end of the day, it really all has to do with your training age way before if you're male or female. So when you're young training age, our goal is to first establish the skill of technique. That's kind of how you establish any type of strength training program. So male or female, we're going to introduce, we like to use a lot of tempos when teaching movements. Um, once we kind of establish that technique base and then we can start building, you know, hypertrophy strength and developing power and speed, females are going to normally be able to respond to a higher amount of volume. But of course, that's, you know, it's a bell curve. That's majority of females may fall under that, but you may have your outliers. So all of our programmings 
all of our programs are actually individualized for that purpose is that you have some girls that are, you know, they're way beginner, they can handle higher volumes, we might actually keep the strength volume like a little bit lower because our focus first is on skill acquisition. And then in their accessory movements, that's where we're going to really kind of lay on the volume a little bit, especially from when you're thinking about, you know, helping create resilience and work capacity in their tendons and ligaments. Um, as they get older, that's when things are going to start to vary a little bit. And these are going to be when we are going to start teaching these girls. Uh, I like, we call, we use like do RPE. So that's when, when a girl is at that point that she kind of understands her body, I'm going to say, okay, we're going to do four sets of eight squats today at about an RPE seven. And I want her to understand what that means. And for us, we like to teach them that because it gives us, it, it helps them understand their bodies that much more. And then when they come in, they're like, "M, we had three hours of practice last night and I'm just ripped apart. I'm like, okay, that's okay. Just even if we go light, lighter this week, it's okay because at in terms of your RPA, it might be even higher than what it was last week. And so that's what we do with our females. It all has to do with just teaching them how to be aware of their bodies so that it can kind of carry over outside of the gym and onto their whatever sport they choose. Okay. Have you seen, have you guys done much with percents? Does the percentages mess with them more? Do they get better uh, by kind of using the RPE? What have you kind of seen on that side? So. When they're, when, with any type of beginning, beginner athlete, you can really get any type of stimulus to, we're going to work with a lower percentage, yeah. even if we know what our max is, just because you only, and when you think about, um, maximal recoverable volume and all of that with a youth athlete, we just want to provide the small, a small stimulus that's necessary to get results. And with, at a younger training age, you can really work at a young, a much smaller percentage than you would for someone that's been training for three years. Um, and then especially as a female, when you think of percentages, just from my knowledge, most females aren't actually able to portray a true, let's say one rep max, just because neurologically, we may, may not be able to simulate the to activate the number of motor units necessary to reach that intensity. So that's like for saying, if I have a female athlete, she's probably going to be able to do sets of five at 90% of her quote unquote max mm -hmm. versus a male may only be able to bang out two. And that's because her one rep max is probably not what it's tested to be. So that's where you're thinking, do percentages actually really matter? Um, in our opinion, not as much as, mm -hmm. As, as long as we abide by the principles of progressive overload and stay within a percentage of intensity that is progressive enough to give that stimulus of making them stronger or put on or more volume to get to get a little bit more muscle mass, then you're kind of fine. And we rather work in that lower intensity, especially because all these girls have such a young training age. What's the point of increasing their um, their overall this overall stress to their body when we don't have to, and we can still get that same type of adaptation. Yeah, I love that description. That's fantastic. So with coaching style, um, how do you feel like the girls respond? If you were coaching guys versus girls, I know this is an, an interesting thing that I see talked about where some male coaches have a hard time wanting to coach female athletes as hard as they do male athletes. Some others will say mm -hmm. that you can go just as hard with them. They'll respond equally the same if you have the same expectations and they understand what you're trying to do. Where have, what have you seen as far as the coaching style, what they respond to best? Well, I've learned that when at that younger training age, it's really just about creating that you want them to look at training as something that they look forward to because this is our job is to help create a routine of something that they're going to keep, keep up with for the rest of their life. So it's kind of comes down to the individual level. Like it, all the girls laugh, you, all the girls laugh in that with a, a younger girl that's new. It's like, Oh my goodness, that was awesome. And then my girls that I've known for three years that I know respond better to when I kind of push them a little bit. I'm like, eh, that wasn't great. Yeah. Not bad. And it's, it's more individualized in that sense. Um, it's funny when I first started Relentless, I actually was the strength coach for an all boys basketball team. Cause well, I needed to make money. Yeah. Um, and with them, I just discovered motivating them was pretty easy because if, if they were failing at a weight, I would just grab it and do it and then look at them and be like, you really going to let me do that? 
And I got, I, just, I got them to do that. If I did that to some of our girls, that would just break them. That would just break them down. You would never do that, right? So girls are going to be, you want to always think about trying to uplift them and try to encourage them. There are going to be some females that are encouraged by the, that negative type of feedback. But for the most part, most females are going to respond to you better if you kind of build them up. And then once they have that confidence, then you can start playing around with like, how can I really push you to hit that zone I need you to get to today? Yeah. Oh, that's great. And do you find that with the confidence, do they incre- increase kind of their competitiveness? Is that still more individualized as far as one of those ones that just they see somebody else do it and they say, yeah, I can do that too. How do you see the competitive nature show? So that's why I actually love weightlifting, the sport of the sport of weightlifting and just utilizing them as a tool. Because for for females, when they come in, we always tell them, because it's true, no one knows how to do these lifts until we teach you. So everyone starts at the same place. And when we explain that to them, they look at some of the girls that are like, she cleans 170. They're like, how much is this? I'm like 15. Yeah. And they're like, oh my goodness, I'll never get there. I'm like, no, no, no. You got to stop and remember, they started where you did. And if you put in the work, you can get there. And when you explain it to them and kind of shape their perspective of it, they're like, wow, okay. And then they kind of look in at those girls in awe. And they're like, oh my goodness. Like, because they realize that they can relate to that girl because she's been in their shoes. And I find that as such a great way to help encourage them because they see what they're, they could possibly be capable of if they put in the work. Um, versus I feel like maybe if we didn't give that explanation to them from the beginning, they may be put off, but all of our coaches really try to do a very good job at explaining to them that like, this, these movements are, are new for everybody here and how you feel really awkward right now. These girls have felt it too. And that's why when we have each, all the, all the, you know, girls that have been a part of our gym, they know that they have to, they have to cheer those new girls on because they know what it's like to feel on the, to, to be on that platform for the first time when they're like, what the heck am I doing? Um, so it kind of really just helps build that motivation that these girls want to keep coming back because they're like, wow, I can be strong like that. I'm like, yeah, she's been doing this for three years though. So if you commit, you could be like that too. And then they're like, oh my goodness, that's awesome. No, that's so great. It's, I bet it's pretty cool to see that click for some of those girls that seem a little unsure that first day and then fast forward two years later and see what they're able to do. It's honestly the coolest thing ever. I, um, there's so many stories I can tell you, but just the one that comes to mind right now. I have this one girl. She started with me when I around when I started around three years ago, and she was just the shyest, quietest girl. You couldn't pay her to words to come out of her mouth. Now, she runs into the gym every day. She doesn't stop talking. She tells me everything about her life about, and she talks to everybody. And it's so cool to see what the barbell does mm-hmm. because. Yeah, like that wasn't me that maybe I helped give her the tools, but that girl has built herself into this confident, outspoken woman. And it's so cool to have seen her grow into that over the years and know that the barbell had such a significant impact in that. Because for me, I saw the barbell have the same effect on me. And it's just so cool to be able to to see these girls that are in high school get that effect. Cause it's like, wow, I wish I had that at that age. Um, so it really is. It's literally the most rewarding job in the world. And with, with your sessions, um, I know that you're going to, guys are going to be doing some Olympic lifting variations. You're going to do your auxiliary work. What kind of out of the weight room stuff are you doing during your sessions with these girls? So besides like, well, depending on their training needs, besides implementing maybe some type of plyometrics or, Really, we will and we'll teach them jumping mechanics, that kind of stuff. We don't do any conditioning here because <laughs> all of these girls that come into us, we know are quite frankly over conditioned. That's all they're getting at their sport practices. And then we know that yeah, we understand most coaches see speed and agility and they can see how that relates to their sport. And these young girls are getting exposed to that stuff first. And for us, we know. Uh, you're not really getting any benefit of that because you don't have that foundational amount of strength. So like, like I like to keep it simple. I'm feeling a need that none of these girls are getting. So we focus primarily on strength training and mechanics. And other than that, 
That's we know that they are quite frankly getting probably a little too much of it everywhere else. But we're going to focus on this one thing because nobody else is giving it to them. I love it. That's fantastic. I think one of the hardest things that happens with so many sports, I'd say lacrosse and soccer are two really high hitters on this, is they'll talk about doing speed development. But when I ask, <laughs> I, when I ask them what their practice looked like, it's sprint, quote unquote, 100 yards, jog back, sprint 100 yards. And in our realm of speed development being like what we do, we're always like, no, 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 no that's conditioning. Like, what did you do for your speed? Yep. And like, well, that's what we did. And like, there's not a chance you got any faster from that today. No, no. And that's, uh, it's, it's, that's kind of my, uh, current battle. I realize with some coaches and some teams is that I, I try to do my best to stay in my lane, but also I believe education is key to some of these things. So I try to kind of just spell it out for them and be like, well, if you actually look at like the research, the most that they're actually going to perform in a high intensity sprint is like 20 meters. So doing a hundred is not like, that's fine in the, in the off season, you're building that conditioning base. But if you actually want to elicit power and speed, we have to drastically cut down the distance that you're doing. And um, I mean, when you're dealing with high school athletes, you also have to understand how much are these coaches actually getting paid? Is this actually their real job? Do they actually have that education behind it? Most of them don't. So it's not really my job to judge, but it is my job to try to educate the parents and the athletes on it because where else are they going to get it from? You know? So that's where it's like, ah, okay, that's, I understand where, where your coach is coming from making you guys do that. But when we think a little bit more in terms of what's going on in your body, eh, that's not really going to make you faster. And when you do that, you kind of you kind of get them to see it from a scientific level without any biases and that I'm not judging their coach. I'm not judging them. It's just like, well, let me give you the facts. You can kind of decide what you want from there. Yeah. No, it's great. Now, one of the, the biggest areas I think that a lot of coaches get nervous with or semi-uncomfortable with is injuries and female athletes and mm-hmm. the couple of the the biggest ones that i think come to mind a lot are acl injuries which are huge um and are talking mm-hmm. about every time i talk to any coach that coaches females is like we have this this and this happening and then concussions is a very high one um i know there was yeah. an article just recently about lacrosse female athletes tons of concussions on that i mean even cheerleading tons and tons of concussions in that as well as gymnastics mm-hmm. With you guys in the weight room, what kind of correlation are you guys seeing to kind of prevention or recovering from these things uh, with what you guys are running? See, that's such a great question because that's something that I'm just so passionate about because I've seen the rates of injuries in these younger female athletes just go through the roof. And it's like, what the heck is going on? Um, I, I read a study, most females are like four to six times as likely to suffer from an ACL injury. Granted, when you look at these studies, it's like, okay, was that an impact injury, non-impact? But at the end of the day, when you think of injury from a physiological perspective, injury happens when you place more load on your body, on your muscle, your ligament, your tendon, than it's capable of handling in that moment. So with sport, sport is high intensity and competitive. When you get into that competitive level of sport, you have to start to prepare your body for it. So if we start to see all of this breakdown at these growing rates, what that tells me is that, okay, these athletes are underprepared for the stressors of their sport. So what do we have to do? We have to improve that capacity to handle those higher stressors. And we know through strength training, we can do that. And that's the beauty of being a human and our ability to adapt to stressors is that once you implement a type of resistance training, you're going to increase that capacity. Beyond just a muscular standpoint, I believe this is just from my like anecdotal working with athletes. I see a big part of it as most females just don't even understand how to move their bodies. And there's a lack of motor recruitment because they just have never been taught it. So once you introduce the female to movements and then strengthening those movements, in my opinion, we will see a decrease of these injuries. And that's where, I mean, when you look at studies, even, um, 
I forget what it's called, but there's a there's a soccer um, warm up where they're doing a lot of body weight stuff, and they they showed that in introducing this to adolescent female athletes, there would be decrease in injuries. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, why is it the actual movement, or is it just because we're introducing to them a stimulus that their body hasn't received before, and now not only are they more aware of their bodies in space, they have strengthened that awareness. Um, even more beyond just getting their body stronger. So that's in terms of helping reduce their risk. When it comes to helping athletes rehab from injuries, um, that's something that I'm so, and again, I'm clearly passionate about a lot. I told you. Um, (laughs) I I, I love that because I see rehabilitation and performance as all the same spectrum, right? And that when you're trying to get a, an athlete to come back, let's say she had ACL reconstruction surgery, the job of her physical therapist or athletic trainer is to get her body, one, back to where it was prior to the surgery. And then I, this is where I see a flaw in the system. And that, you know, I'm incurring such pain, you've been cleared. But what did we actually clear this athlete for? We got her back to the same place where she was when she got injured. So now it's the job of the physical therapist, of the athletic trainer, of the orthopedic surgeon to teach this athlete that that basic understanding of load capacity and that she now needs to get herself stronger if she wants to compete at the level that she was. Because if she doesn't, she's going to get injured again. It's just, it, it just thinking about it logically, that kind of makes sense. So what we're actually trying to do is we're trying to actually grow a rehabilitation side of Relentless where we have athletic trainer that's actually able to help these athletes that are going after their ACL reconstruction surgery, maybe a torn labrum, and get them, one, into rehabbing the injury, and then, two, to help fill that gap between the end of rehab and introduction back to sport. And that's when they come to Relentless in terms of a strength training member, and now we get her stronger than she was prior to her injury. So I foresee the future of like physical therapy, athletic training, and strength strength and conditioning all kind of working together, hopefully in the future, because at the end of the day, we're kind of all doing the same thing. We're either rehabbing an injury, and then once we do, we're trying to improve our ability, our body's capacity to handle higher loads. And while doing that, we're trying to increase performance. So yeah, it's, it's a huge need that point where they get cleared to participate in sport to where they actually can compete at a high level in their sport. And I don't know if every parent of a young athlete truly understands it because we get so many athletes who come through with us where in a, a facility that's highly based on movement performance where we're, we're doing sprint work, a lot of jutting, jumping and cutting, we watch them move and we're like, whoa, 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 you are not ready to play and like oh no we're clear like i'm good to go and like yeah. but no way are you ready to go like there's a huge disconnect there sometimes between actually being cleared and actually be able to compete mm-hmm. exactly exactly there's a difference between being able to return to sport and then being able to compete in sport mm-hmm. i love it so when you guys are kind of working on the acl kind of i don't like the term really prevention type stuff because it's just good training really is it's sound principles but do you feel like Olympic lifting has a good carryover because of the the rhythm, the coordination, the timing component, the rapid deceleration and control of the weight? Do you find that there's a good benefit to that? Oh my, like you just kind of took the words from my mouth. Absolutely. I That's how I love using the lifts as a tool for these athletes because it helps improve that neurological connection that I was kind of talking about it, it it's teaching them how to use their body in coordination that's something that they need to do on the field so if they teaching them how to move their body with an implement is going to help them be more aware of their body on the field plus when you look at the acceleration change of direction and deceleration mechanics necessary to perform these lifts once they're actually using the loads to kind of elicit those responses you're going to help strengthen their body in such a way that may help reduce those risks of injury, whether it be because you're doing just acceleration, deceleration things, or because you're just getting the muscles stronger and increasing the capacity. Quite frankly, I don't think it matters. Just the fact is, is that we know that it works. Um, And then on top of that, when you just looked at a muscular standpoint, a lot of females, again, bell curve, but are going to be 
over-reliant on their quadriceps in comparison to their hamstrings. And a couple of studies have shown that this could be a big reason for why females in deceleration, you will see perhaps that that vagus happen and maybe that could be a contributing cause to the actual tear. Um, That could definitely be one. So with that aspect, we really focus a lot on hamstring work with females just in terms of not only increasing that strength so it can kind of match to their quads, but more so just helping them build that awareness. Because at the end of the day, an athlete that's more aware of her body is going to move with probably more biomechanical efficiency on the field. And she's going to be stronger and able to to withstand any stresses that happen if she kind of moves in perhaps an inefficient movement pattern her body's resilient and she's not going to snap. Yeah, no, I love it. Now, I think what a really interesting uh, topic with uh, ACL specifically with female athletes is the influence of kind of menstrual cycles and their nutrition on when those Mm -hmm. ACL tears can actually occur. Can you speak a little bit on what you've found in that realm? Yeah, so I um, I love talking about like the menstrual cycle with female athletes, because not a lot of coaches want or have that ability to kind of talk to them openly about it. But so yes, there are some studies that say during certain periods of your cycle, based on your hormonal levels, you have an increase of ligament lacticity. And with that, that may increase your chance of um, increase your predisposition to getting injured. So whether or not that's 100% true or not, we know that it's 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 a factor that plays into a multifactorial concept that's going to contribute to the injury, right? Mm-hmm. So with females, our number one goal is to make sure that they understand why they need to have a regular cycle. And then it's not just about the hormones that happen when they get their period, but it's the hormones surrounding that entire thing. And a lot of females do not have regular cycles and they think that this is normal and it is not normal. It is your body sign. It's your body signaling that something is not going on that's necessary to help you that is going to help you be healthy. And when you think of health, that's optimal health is also going to help girls at this level perform to the way that they want to. So with, um, you can talk about the female athlete triad or, or now reds, uh, relative energy deficiency in sport, because that's also seen in, in males. What it all comes down to is that there's low energy availability. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that an, a female or a male is not consuming enough food that meets the demands that they're putting on their body. And when that happens, our body is a system. So our body starts to say, oh, crap. We need to start to conserve energy in some areas and to, to help with our survival. So for females, we start to see a disruption in the menstrual cycle or complete ceasage of it. Now, when that happens, that means that something's going to go on at the hormonal level, right? That we're not going to have the same hormones in our body that are as, as they should be cycling in a normal, healthy athlete that's getting her period around every 30 to 35 days. Mm-hmm. So when we look at that, that athlete is at a much higher risk of getting injured than the athlete that's like, oh, my period's coming soon, right? Because you're, you're her, the, the hormones are completely out of whack. Um, so with these athletes, we need to help them understand how much food they need to help maintain their periods, their performance, and to help protect their bones so that they don't get stress fractures and and their ligaments and, and to help make sure that they stay reproductively healthier as they get older when it's going to matter. Yeah. Um, so we tend to not really focus on, you know, the, the nitty gritty stuff of like, is she at a higher risk right now because she's close to her period or she's two weeks out of her period, she's ovulating and now she's at a higher risk. To be honest, We have humans are so adaptable and I really don't think that that is a huge component of it. I think we need to start looking at the bigger picture and it's like, what is the overall health of the athlete look like? Is she overall strong? Mm, Not so much. Does she have good body awareness? Mm, Probably not. And then, oh, on top of it, she was ovulating and her hormones were going through the roof. Maybe this is why she tore her ACL, you know? Mm. So it's more so taking a, a stance on the bigger picture before you get into those little details. Um, but for most athletes, it's teaching them 
the importance of food because there was all this false information out there. Instagram is a beautiful thing and then also a terrible thing because anyone has a voice. And unfortunately, some people are speaking to vulnerable athletes, female athletes that do not deserve to be speaking to them. And with that, you're talking to girls in an impressionable age where their appearance to them is so highly important. And so girls are like, oh, I don't I don't want to eat that much. You want me to eat that much? I, I have a, a one of our, our future employees working at ETSU with some volleyball athletes. And she's like, M, for these division one players that you see how much energy they're expending, it saddens me how little they eat. And just because no one teaches them and they're, they're in that, that mindset that more food means I'm going to be fat. And it's like, no, 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 (laughs) it doesn't necessarily work like that. If you're not eating enough, your body is slowing everything else down. So if we slowly titrate those calories back up, your metabolism is going to start increasing. And that means that you're not going to have to conserve energy to the point that you were before. So now your period's back. And now you probably are performing higher. And with that higher performance, you're now probably going to have a body composition that you like that much more than when your body was conserving energy to help your brain stay functional. Yeah. No, I love that. Now with what is your biggest like advice for just that that baseline conversation about how much food they actually need? What are your go-to kind of guidelines? I know that you have some experience with Renaissance periodization, uh, precision nutrition, different kind of styles as far as telling talking about calories, talking about what portions just look like. What do you kind of recommend? What's your go-to for those athletes? So that's going to depend on the the age and the maturity of the athlete. So I that's a big part of our business too. We do a lot of nutrition coaching and consulting. So we have a couple professional level volleyball athletes that play overseas. And with them, we can get very specific in terms of we want you to learn how to first, you know, like measure your food. You need to have 65 grams of carbs here. Let's figure out how you can understand what that looks like. Because in three weeks, you don't need to measure to a T anymore because you're going to understand those serving sizes. With our high school younger athletes, we're not going to get too much in detail to that extent because we just want them to understand what's a carb, what's a protein, what's a fat. What are some great sources to go to for that? What's an average serving size? About a, about a fist is like 25 grams of carbs. About a palm is around the serving of protein that you need. Let's try to get a serving in every meal. About a thumb is around a serving of a fat. Let's again try to get one in every meal. With our carbs, we always try to teach our girls, you want to have a little bit of carbs and some, and some um, vegetables throughout the day. But if you're really active that day, that's when we need to increase the amount of carbs. So let's add a couple more fists around your training. Yeah. And when we simplify it like that, that's going to help them establish the base of not looking at food as good or bad, but more so my body needs this right now because I'm expending a lot of energy. And versus when you teach it like that, a lot of girls are like, well, huh, like I have fat stores when I use that. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. High intensity exercise does not run on fat sores. It doesn't, you're just, it can't work. So when you just kind of explain it to them in terms of a, what does your body need right now? What is it going to need later to recover? It's easier to get them to try to implement these nutrition practices. Um, we, I normally start off and I say, I want, the first thing is I want to see protein in every meal that you eat. I want to see a little bit of protein. Explain to them what protein is and that you have to eat a lot of nuts to get the amount of protein that you need. So that's probably not the best source of protein, but a great source of fat mm-hmm. and explaining that. And then from there, your next step is like, okay, how much carbs are we actually eating? And are we eating them around our activity or are we eating a lot of them on days that we might not need that much energy? Um, and it's kind of just going a stepwise process from there. But like I said, with those athletes that are like, they need that type of nutrition intervention that is spot on because they are, I think I counted her training volume for last week. It was like 40 hours. Yeah, It was insane. Yeah. So that, and she is one that came to me again. I only get my period every, every four months. And I'm like, that's not healthy. Yeah. And then with, with him, like two months of slowly increasing the amount of food, she gets her period back to normal. And she's like, Oh, and I didn't like, I'm not all fat. That doesn't, wow, this is so crazy. And I'm like, yeah, see science. Right. It's crazy when it actually works out that way. The math works out. <laughs> science is insane. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Cause like talking about females and the issues that have been kind of passed down about, like, I don't want to look a certain way, or I don't want to eat this or eat that. I find that so many of my male athletes actually suffer from similar things. 
where the world of Instagram, the world of just every social media possible is everybody should have shredded abs year round. Uh, there, there's this huge disconnect about how much food I actually need to eat where a lot of times I'll ask, Hey, what have you eaten today before you've trained? And they're like, I ate so much food. And then you're like, what would you have for breakfast? Nothing. What would you have as a snack before lunch? <laughs> Nothing. What'd you have for lunch? I had a bagel. And what'd you have before you worked out just now? Nothing. Like, so you thought eating a bagel today was a lot. It's just like, there's this disconnect for sure. Even with my male athletes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy, but I mean, for me, that comes down to, I believe that basic nutrition should be taught at like the grade school level. Yeah. Like what is that serving size stuff, just basic stuff to understand how much food your body actually needs. Um, because I see that is really the biggest problem with most of these athletes. And unfortunately, what I, it's funny when we do our nutrition consults with our, our kids on site, we always want their parents to come in because we've noticed that a lot of parents think that their kids should be eating the exact same as, as they start. And like, we're, we've had moms that are like, I'm on this diet. So she's on it too. And I'm like, whoa, you sit at a desk all day. She's 15. Right. She, do you know how much energy she's spending? And it's just because they were never educated. Right. So to see this exact, this dissipation of, of lack of knowledge affecting all of these, uh, all these future generations that, I think can be fixed just by simple nutrition education. What is a carb? Why do you need a carb? When does your body not need carbs as much versus this is bad. Stay away from sugar. What do you mean stay away from sugar? Your brain needs sugar. It's just, you know, getting out of that good versus bad and just give them facts. I love it. Now I was going to ask you, what do you think the biggest change that could be made in the high school, college pro level that could better serve female athletes? Do you think it actually is that nutritional component at a younger age that can set those athletes up to have a better success through their career? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, Teaching young athletes how to look at food as fuel versus as something that's clean or dirty or or good or bad is going to be fundamental in their ability to recover from all of the stressors of sport because we know that besides sleep, food is the most important thing that's going to determine how your athlete recovers and recovery is essential for adaptation and improvement. So if we want to see the future of female athletics to improve and hit a higher level, it one has to come down to how are our athletes, one, recovering, and two, how are we actually imposing a stress that's going to elicit that response of better adaptation? So that means teaching the young athletes the importance of nutrition and the basic science behind it. And two, first, instilling proper technique, movement patterns, and a base of strength so that once they get to that higher division one level, that's not the job of their strength coach. Their job of their strength coach is to get more scientific in terms of how they're managing the training loads of in the gym, on the field, and helping promote better athletes. Because uh, for me, I think that we, can, we will see a world of insane, insane female athletes as we keep going if we start training them like athletes at a younger age. Yeah. And I think that one of the good things, I mean, you mentioned it early on about CrossFit, but it has, I think, brought some attention to some of these female athletes that have really taken nutrition by the reins. And you're seeing some Mm -hmm. pretty incredible things that they're able to do in the weight room and just physically by they are Mm -hmm. taking a, a hold of sleep and nutrition and how they're applying that to their training. And it's some really cool things happening. It definitely is. I also see sometimes, though, sometimes when a young girl sees sees a female that's like very, very muscular, and they come to me and they're like, "I don't want to look like yeah. that." And I'm like, "One, she doesn't. She did not get that way on accident. <laughs> like right. that took years and years and years of dedicated practice to get into that into that appearance." I was like, "And two, females, right? It's it's a get it's a bell curve. You're going to have outliers, and those females that are excelling in CrossFit are those outliers that are probably have a little." testosterone to them or maybe are able to pack on muscle a little bit easier than the normal female athlete. So they're playing to their strengths and found a sport that helps them that, that plays to that strength. So it's like, I see, I see so many positives of CrossFit in terms of showing the importance of strength training, but then I also see 
some of the detriments in that, oh, I see these young girls and how they look at, at some of those athletes. And they're like, oh, my God, is weightlifting going to make me look like that? And I'm like, dude, that's all I do is lift weights. Do I look like that? Right. Like, And they're like, no. Like, so I was like, it's not going to happen on accident. Yes. It takes time. And you have to like push yourself to get that way. It's like in anything you want to do in life, you have to push yourself. It doesn't happen like that on accident. So I think it just has to, you know, in that case, helping if we use those athletes as examples, it's just also providing with them an explanation for why is she able to perform like that? Yes, she's on top of her sleep and nutrition, but she also has a higher predisposition to putting on muscle. And damn, that girl is rocking it because now she's kicking butt in her sport of choice because she's using that predisposition to her advantage versus, honey, you are sticking bones. <laughs> you may not ever look like that, I promise. Um, But we can get you to be a better athlete. That's not going to keep getting injured. And it's like explaining that to them, I find is very helpful because you have some athletes that look at those girls and they're like, oh my God, that's awesome. I want to be like her. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's get there. Yeah. And the other girls like, I'm never going to lift a weight because I never want to look like that. I'm like, whoa, oh, wait, hold up. Hold up. It does not happen like right. that. I promise you. Does. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Emily, we're kind of reaching the end of the, the talk today. I hope there's so much information that people can apply immediately if they're working with female athletes or outsource to get some help if they're they're working with female athletes and looking trying to get them to the next level. What is some advice you would offer for like a young coach getting started? Similarly, the kind of when you were at Temple and not completely sure about where you want to go, what what can you share with them advice wise? Um, advice wise is find people that are doing something similar that you want to do and reach out because this world is all about networking and connections and learning from each other. So when you reach out to someone, don't look at it as what can I get, but it's what can we get? How can we both benefit one another? And the moment that you start doing that, you're going to start, your career is going to start to kind of unfold the way that it should. So always reach out, always try to network, always try to learn because even when you end school, the learning does not stop. The purpose of school is to teach you how to learn so that you take that skill with you for the rest of your life. So keep learning and keep networking. I love it. Now, is there any great books or podcasts you'd recommend if people are looking to get more educated about working with female athletes to learn more about the science behind it or the emotional side of it? What can you recommend for anybody? Um, so I'm actually starting next fall teaching a course at Temple University on strength and conditioning for the female athlete. And it is on the textbook, strength and conditioning for the female athlete, which I think every coach that wants to work with female athletes needs to get because it is, I wish they had that when I was in school, I fell in love with that book. And that's why I'm like, I want to teach this. Um, that is a great resource. I also, I always believe in textbooks before you go to research because you need to understand the principles before you start to actually see maybe chances where those, those principles may not be working the way that you would think. Um, another text is the young female athlete. That's another great one. Um, the basics, the basic ones like training principles, um, by stone, all of those are just essential texts. I am a huge avid reader and podcast listening listener. So, um, I love for sport training. I love physical preparation podcasts, um, for nutrition stuff. Anything Sigma nutrition is great. Anything in terms of just bridging the world between rehab and strength training, clinical athlete is great. Um, and then in terms of like business, I love uh, entree leadership. I think that's another great one. And then anything like Ted, because all of that stuff all just coincides to you becoming a good coach, not just in terms of the physical bio stuff, but just the psychological stuff as well. I love it. That's phenomenal. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for talking with us today. Can you give... What's the best way if anyone's looking to get a, a hold of you, ask questions, uh, possibly train with you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way is just to go right to our Instagram, relentless underscore athletics underscore. I'm the one that runs it. Um, you can just DM me on there, message. We really do our best to try to put not only celebrate our community, but really try to put educational resources out there on that, whether through videos, infographics, anything like that. So if you want to contact, that's the way to go. I love it. Well, again, thank you so much, Emily. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. Me as well.